Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. Happy March. How's it going? Good to have you here. All right, so this is episode 118. We're going to talk about your persistence. I think that's a pretty cool topic. And I want to set the stage by starting with why that is important. A lot of the information that I'm going to talk about today comes from Wallace Waddle's book, The Science of Getting Rich. And if you've never read uh, The Science of Getting Rich, I highly recommend it. It's, it's very instructive. It's also kind of a hoot because it was written, I don't know, 100 years ago or more. And it's very much about the industrial age. And it's very much about men um, because, you know, we women were just pretty objects back then. But what I love is that he had done decades of research into successful people to kind of figure out what they had in common and what was true about them. And persistence, as he researched, turned out to be one of the essential qualities for success. So first I thought I'd give you a definition of persistence. And here's what I found. A firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. And then that got me thinking about, you know, the difference between being obstinate and being obstinately continuous, continuous, right? Like staying the course. And so I thought, well, okay, what's the difference? So being obstinate is kind of an unwavering unwillingness to change. So when you think of someone who's obstinate, they're really, I think of their heels. I actually picture them visually with their heels dug in. And being willing to, like, stay the course is more determination, right? So on one hand, you've got kind of kind of unwavering unwillingness to change, change resistant. And on the other hand, you've got a very determined person. So it's a very big difference between the two. So let's think about in the terms of your career, what does this persistence look like? Well, it may be persisting through all of the rejections that are inherent in a job search. I always tell people if, you know, one of the reasons that we do a lot of thought work in my job search programs is because it doesn't matter what you do in your job search. If you're not thinking the right things, if you're not thinking persistent thoughts, you're going to either give up on your job search or you're going to do it in a way that isn't going to yield the results that you want. You might be persisting through the steps that you want to start your own business. And so you're, you know, maybe you're working full time, maybe you have children and a family and other obligations, and yet you're persisting with this dream uh, of your own career, of your own business. Maybe you're persisting through all of the demands on your money because you have a money goal. You want to buy a home, you want to take a trip of a lifetime, you want a new car, whatever it may be and you stay the course with your savings plan, you persist despite, you know, the water heater breaks down or whatever the the thing is. So all of those things require persistence. So here's what Wallace D. Waddles has to say about persistence. Take inventory of yourself and determine in what particular, if any, way you are lacking in the essential quality. Measure yourself courageously, point by point, and see how many of the factors of persistence you lack. Here you will find the real enemies that stand between you and noteworthy achievements. Here you will find not only the symptoms indicating weakness of persistence, but also the deeply seated unconscious causes of this weakness. 
So that's a quote directly from The Science of Getting Rich. So then I wanted to share with you Wallace D. Waddle's persistence checklist and let's kind of talk about what this looks like in, in view of your career. And I want you to think real honestly. So as he says, uh, measure yourself courageously point by point and see how many of the factors of persistence you lack. And I'm going to be real honest with you on these and share with you the ones that that I struggle with. And they're going to be different than the ones you struggle with, but they're not better or worse. They're just different. So the first one is failure to recognize and to define clearly exactly what one wants. So if you think about this in any area of your life, there's a, there's a saying that vague requests lead to vague results. So if you say, I want a better job, and that's all you say, you have no clearer picture in your head of what you want, then you're not going to get what you want because you haven't told the universe. You haven't stated that clearly. You haven't got it in your mind's eye, as the saying goes. I was recently in a program um, here in Tallahassee with a wonderful woman, Jean Adrian. And it was on calling in the beloved. So doing the things to bring our, as I call him, my soulmate to me. And it was very interesting because in this group of women, there was one woman in particular who we had to journal on what we were looking for. And she was very, she's like, I don't know, this is new and I'm not sure. And it was so interesting to watch her and kind of juxtapose that uh, as against kind of the rest of us were very clear on what we were looking for and who we wanted. And it, and it would be so interesting as a social experiment to come back six months from now and see who's gotten, moved the needle towards what they want or gotten what they want and who has it. So failure to recognize and to define clearly exactly what you want. So that I highly recommend writing it down I mean, and speaking it, right? So there are two schools of thought. Do I tell people or do I keep it to myself? And, and while I think there's some value in selecting who you tell it to, I also think that telling anybody that you can, whatever your goal is, can help you get over your own stuff about your thoughts about this thing that you said you wanted, right? You, you encounter reactions and you get to decide what to make them mean. You get to, dis, you get to encounter detractors or naysayers or, you know, poo-pooers, and you get to decide what to make that mean. The next one is procrastination, with or without cause, and usually backed up with a formidable array of alibis and excuses. <laughs> so procrastination, this is not one I suffer from either, but it, it is many people's issue, right? And procrastinators, this, is, this comes from my coach, Brooke, Brooke Castillo. She says, procrastinators are scared people. So procrastinators are people who often put off something or don't complete it because they, it won't be perfect. It won't be, it won't be an A plus work. And she's a fan of say, let's get the B minus work out there because B minus work is better than nothing. And procrastination and perfectionism is giving you nothing. So putting it off because I can't do it the way I want to do it, telling myself I don't have time, whatever the excuse is, you know, I'm about to have a baby, I just had a baby, I might have a baby and we're buying a house. And it's interesting to me because people that have been in my space for many years, I see that whatever it is, there's an excuse. If they're procrastinators, they are procrastinators, died in the wool procrastinators, and there's always a story, a drama around why they can't make that thing happen. The next one is lack of interest in acquiring specialized knowledge. So this, I think, goes with kind of a general sort of maybe you don't have a clear enough goal in mind or you're just kind of lazy. So, yeah, I really need that certification to do this 
or I really need to complete that degree or whatever. I need something. There's something I need to learn how to do in order to do it. And so that now this becomes a really great excuse for not doing the thing is that I don't have it. Whereas you could also equally decide, I'm going to go get that thing. Here's what I need to know. Um, and here's where I'm going to go get that knowledge. And I also think that that specialized knowledge piece can be used as an excuse when it's not true. So you could say, we run into this a lot in the in the certification or in the coaching space because coaching is an unregulated industry. So technically you don't have to be a certified coach. And there are a lot of people out there who want to be coaches and tell themselves, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to be a coach if I don't have coaching certification. And the fact of the matter is that's just not true, but it's a nice excuse if you want to, you know, procrastinate or, or you know, just not do it. The next one is indecision, the habit of passing the buck on all occasions instead of facing issues squarely, also backed by alibis. So this is that kind of indecisiveness. I don't know what I what I want. And it's it's really confusion is what we're talking about here. Um, and then just not taking responsibility for the pieces of it that you can control. My coach says that confusion is an indulgent emotion. And by that, she means there is no upside to the emotion of confusion. So just decide, right? So, you know, decision takes a moment. It's all the drama around it. And sometimes, granted, you do need a little more information. I want to decide which coaching program I want to do. I want to decide where to put my physical building for my new business. I want to decide which companies I want to go work for. But if you think about it, those are just steps after the decision has been made. You've made a decision to start a business, you've made a decision to get a new job, and then it's just those steps involved. But you're not telling yourself, I don't know whether I want a new job. You're not telling yourself, I don't know whether I want to start a business. The next one is the habit of relying upon alibis instead of creating definite plans for the solution of pro problems. This, I think that one's really tied into some of these others. So alibis, again, I work too many hours, I my family needs me, my mother's sick, whatever those things are. And you know, here's the thing, those may be true. You may have a sick mother, you may have, you know, six children. I was talking to someone recently who has six kids. That takes a lot of time. We can all agree on that. But then you just step back from that and you decide, A, what do I really want my life to be about? And how can I make that happen? Instead of telling myself, I have too many kids to even think about what I want out of my life. And I think there's also this piece of what is better for my children, what is better for me, what is better for my family in the long run if I do this, if I fulfill my purpose on this planet. So the habit of relying upon alibis instead of creating definite plans for solutions or problems. Next, self-satisfaction. And he says there is but little remedy for this affliction and no hope for those who suffer from it. So self-satisfaction, and that was one I really spent some time thinking about. What does he mean by that? And I think where he's going there is being kind of content, right? Where I am now, I have enough. And I don't, I think this is not the same as I don't deserve more because there, in that case, you want more. You just don't think you can have it. But this is, I like my life the way it is. My life is good. I'm you know, I like having all my evenings and weekends free. I like whatever it is, fill in the blank. So you're kind of satisfied with your life the way it is. I'm great at what I do now. I don't have to be better. I don't want to evolve to anything else. And honestly, I agree with him. There is but little remedy for this affliction and no hope for those who suffer from it. 
Next one, indifference, usually reflected in one's readiness to compromise on all occasions rather than meet opposition and fight it. So getting back to that kind of defining clearly and effectively exactly what you want, and, and my coach calls it your hard why, right? Why am I doing this? Because that's what allows you to persist through these inevitable bumps and bruises, right? So when you're indifferent, that's the opposite of that focus and, and being persistent. So, you know, whatever comes up, right? Like, so I'd like to start my own business. I'd like to finish my degree, but the littlest thing comes up and I use it as an excuse to not persist. The next one is the habit of blaming others for one's mistakes and accepting unfavorable circumstances as being unavoidable. When I got my master's degree, I had to take quite a few counseling courses. And one of the things that I learned that just made a ton of sense to me was this concept of external locus of control and internal locus of control. And then kind of that middle place where you're super healthy. So if you have an external locus of control, you blame everything and everyone outside of yourself for the circumstances of your life, right? So you're always at the effect of circumstances. You're at the effect of situations and other people. If you have an overly internalized locus of control, you blame yourself for everything. I've been there. I've got, I I had that. I'm healed. But if, you know, the war was going on in the Middle East, it was for sure my fault. The healthy middle ground is, yeah, there are some people doing some things out there that are at odds with what I'm trying to achieve and are kind of working against me, maybe uh, maybe directly or indirectly, maybe intentionally or unintentionally. But I still can control where I go with this. I can ride those bumps and, and bruises. I can ride the wave and I can still get what I want because I am in control of my destiny. So that one is the habit of blaming others for one's mistakes and accepting unfavorable circumstances as being unavoidable. Next, weakness of desire due to the neglect and the choice of motives that impel action. All right, so what are we talking about here? I think it really gets back to that desire of recognizing and defining exactly what you want, right? So if you have a weakness of desire, your hard why is a soft why at best, right? So you don't have a hard why. And you just haven't really dug down to figure out why. I find in my experience, the hard why is usually two or three layers below the first why, right? All right, so let's. what does this mean in terms of having a hard why. So let's say that your situation is you would like a new job and you would like it by June 1st. So what is your reason for that? Because here's the thing, you're already doing a full-time job. Maybe you have children, a family, mom's sick, whatever, the, you know, the dog died, whatever. You've got stuff going on in your life, like we all do. And the hard why for getting a new job is so important to persist through those bumps and bruises, right? Uh, and having a, a strong desire as opposed to a weak desire. If I were working with you as my client and I might say, well, why do you want a new job? Well, you'd say, well, I want to make more money. Okay. Why do you want to make more money? Well, because I'm not making enough money. Yeah, you got, I got that one. But why are you not making enough money? Why are you wanting to make more money? And as we do the, do the work, it comes out that um, you've always fantasized about having a home on the beach and you've identified what your income level needs to be to own that home on the beach and it means x y and z to you to have that home on the beach you want to have a central location for your family 
to come spend a week every summer. Maybe your parents have, you know, you were raised very poor and you want to do this thing for your parents or you see this kind of idyllic place to raise to, to bring your kids to in the summer. That's the hard why. And it's about three layers deeper than the initial why. So that one is weakness of desire due to the neglect of the choice of motives that will impel you forward in the action. Next, willingness, even eagerness to quit at the first sign of defeat. Well, well, there's a clear sign. And I think that that's what happens. And, and this particular one is like, oh, this is a sign that I'm not supposed to do it. And I was watching just yesterday, I was at my chiropractor's office and a woman had brought her grandson and he just turned a year old. So he's at that wobbly, I can walk, but not really stage. And I was remembering my coach, Brooke Castillo, talking about babies and how ludicrous it would be for a baby to try to walk one time. Of course, they're going to fall on their butt, right? They're going to fall over. And they're like, well, no, that's not for me. Walking is clearly, it's not my bag. I'm just not going to do it. And yet somewhere along the way, as adults, we develop that attitude. Like I tried that once six years ago when it didn't work. And so we are, it's called confirmation bias, right? So if, if we're telling ourselves that we're probably going to fail, we're probably not going to get the promotion, we're probably not going to get the new job, then confirmation bias is our brain goes out to look for evidence for that. So everything that happens in our life, we interpret, our brain interprets as evidence that we're not meant to have a better job. We're not meant to have that promotion. We're not meant to start our own business. We're not meant to lose that weight, whatever our goal is. The next one is the habit of neglecting to move on ideas or to grasp opportunity when it presents itself. <laughs> not recognizing an idea as being something that fits perfectly, right? Having this, this perfect, this idea that you want for yourself, this goal, and then something comes along that is perfectly in harmony with that goal and we don't recognize it as such and we don't take advantage of it. We don't capitalize on it and, and allow it to move us forward. The next one is wishing instead of willing, right? So gee, I'd like to, I have had a policy for many years with my clients in saying, uh, and even students, when I was working in higher education, that you can come see me as many times as you want and we will coach. However, here's the one rule, whatever I tell you to do, you better have done it or be doing it before you come see me again, because I don't want to repeat myself again. So the wishing is, gee, I'd like to have a new job. And you just tell everybody about it and you tell yourself about it. And that's as far as it ever goes instead of, instead of exercising your will in making that thing a reality. The next one is the habit of compromising with poverty instead of aiming at riches. General absence of ambition to be, to do, to own. I'm here to tell you that riches are the right and the responsibility of each of us. You can live a fuller life. And that's one of the main premises of Wallace D. Waddle's book, The Science of Getting Rich, is that you cannot live the fullest life that you are capable of, the life of your dreams, without money. Now, how much money that is may vary from person to person, depending on what that full life is. Uh, I've known people who, who can't live the fullness of the life they really want to live without millions of dollars. Other people just want, hey, I'd love to make $50,000. It doesn't, it's not about the dollar amount. It's about does that amount allow you to live the fullness of the life that you want to live? So if you're compromising with poverty, you're kind of 
allowing it into your life, making excuses for what it's there, and it gets back to that kind of external locus of control. I'm blaming, I'm blaming my job. I'm blaming my spouse. I'm blaming the city I live in. I'm blaming my educational level. I'm blaming my age. I'm blaming Mickey Mouse, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm blaming something outside of myself. The next one is searching for all the shortcuts to riches, trying to get without giving a fair equivalent, usually reflected in the habit of gambling, endeavoring to drive sharp bargains. So what he's talking about here, he doesn't necessarily mean gambling like Las Vegas gambling, but risking instead of making intelligent decisions and trying to drive hard bargains. And one of the things that he talks about is is that the true way to riches is on the creative sphere where you are creating something as opposed to competing against others. So you're not winning, you're never winning at the at the expense of someone else losing. Everyone wins. Um, my coach talks about, you know, we we often think that there's a pie of money. And if I get a bigger share then the next person, it's because then they have to get less, like it's required. There's only so much pie, and if I get more, they get less. And it's not like that with money. We can all make more of it. We can all be rich. And so if you start searching for shortcuts, I'm going to bet in this long-range thing. I'm going to play the stock market. I'm going to maybe engage in illegal or questionable activities. Those are all those shortcuts and trying to drive bargains and kind of winning at the expense of someone else. And the final one is fear of criticism, failure to create plans and put them into action because of what other people will think, do, or say. This enemy belongs at the head of the list because it generally exists in one's subconscious mind where its presence is not recognized. Boy, this is a huge one. So I'm afraid to be, I've got a couple people in my sphere that constantly are talking about being afraid of being seen. And when you think about that, what is that about? Well, that's about a fear of criticism, right? So I'd like this big life for myself. I'd like to persist through to my goals, but I don't, I don't want people to criticize me. And I, I love that Brooke Castillo was, in fact, on today's podcast that I was listening to. Um, she was talking about the haters, right? So she's very upfront with how much money she makes and how many, you know, how her things that she has in her life. She also makes a big point of talking about the fact that those aren't really important to her. But she's got her share of haters that think you shouldn't tell people how much money you make and that you're doing it on the backs of other people. And quite the opposite is true with her. She has made a lot of other people millionaires as well. But if you are if you are afraid of criticism and you're afraid of what other people will think, do, or say, then you're, you're never going to be able to persist through to your goals because the bigger you are and the bigger life you have, the more haters you're going to have because those are people who want to keep you small and keep you at their level. All right, so how did you fare? I want to go over them all over again, but I, I want to start by talking about what you can do, like what are some steps you can take to remedy any of these points that you struggle with. So number one, you want to honestly evaluate your current level of persistence. So we're going to go over those criteria again, and I want you to honestly think, okay, here are the ones that I didn't fare too well on. Then I want you to choose one area that you'd like to focus your energy on improving. Don't go nuts and try to do six, right? You can get the six done, but let's do them one at a time. So pick the one maybe that you think would be the easiest to make an improvement on or that would make the most difference in your life by making a change on. Or it could be the one that you think makes the most sense for you at this stage in your life given your current circumstances. Then I want you to write a full page of ideas on how to improve that area. Just We call it a brain dump. Just what are the ideas... Don't filter those ideas through reality or money or anything. Just get them on paper. Then 
choose three to five specific strategies. So of that laundry list, what are three to five strategies that I want to focus on to move the needle in that area? And then the last step is to calendar time to implement those strategies. So if there's something you have to research, if there's something you have to do, someone you have to talk to, all of those things should be put on the calendar because that's how stuff gets done. And then finally, set a date to evaluate your progress on that area. So in other words, don't give yourself an open-ended time because a true goal is always time sensitive. Am I going to evaluate and see how I've moved the needle on June 1st? And at that time, what you're going to either do is say, okay, I'm doing really great with these strategies and I'd like to make further progress. So let me go back to my list and find a couple more strategies and implement them now. Or maybe I've moved the needle to the point where I'm satisfied and I want to go back and pick a different, a persistence issue and I'm going to start working on it, on it now. All right, so let me give you those, those persistence qualities again. Number one, failure to recognize and to clearly define exactly what you want. Number two, procrastination with or without cause and a bunch of alibis. Number three, Lack of interest in acquiring any specialized knowledge that you would need for that goal. Number four, indecision. The habit of passing the buck on all occasions instead of facing issues squarely. Number five, the habit of relying upon alibis instead of creating definite plans for the solution of problems. Number six, self-satisfaction. Remember, there's but little remedy for that one. Number seven, indifference usually reflected in one's readiness to compromise on all occasions rather than meet opposition and fight. Number eight, the habit of blaming others for one's mistake and accepting unfavorable circumstances is just simply being unavoidable. Number nine, weakness of desire due to the neglect in the choice of motives that impel action. Number 10, willingness and even an eagerness to quit at the first sign of defeat. Number 11, the habit of neglecting to move on ideas or to grasp opportunity when it presents itself. Number 12, wishing instead of willing. 13, the habit of compromising with poverty instead of aiming at riches. A general absence of ambition to be, to do, to own. Number 14, searching for all the shortcuts to riches, trying without giving a fair equivalent, usually reflected in the habit of gambling and endeavoring to drive sharp bargains. And number 15, Fear of criticism, failure to create plans and put them into action because of what other people will think, do, or say. Now, I promised that I was going to tell you which ones I struggle with, and all is not lost. I'm going to do that. And I really think as I look at this list, I scored pretty well. The one that I struggle with and am working mightily on these days is the, the poverty one, right? So really wanting what I want, but thinking that there's on some level kind of, I don't deserve that thing, right? I don't deserve this gigantic business that has tons of influence in the world and where I am a leading thought leader um, in this field. So I think that habit of compromising with poverty has continued to be a struggle for me and, and is the one that I work on. I'm pretty darn persistent overall, but no matter how you scored, I want you to, as I said, let me give you those steps again. St starts with evaluating your current level of persistence. So identifying the ones that you struggled with. Then choose one of those areas that you struggle with to focus on. Number three, brain dump a full page of ideas on how to improve in that area. Then I want you to choose three to five specific strategies. So of that list, what are three to five that I want to focus on? And then I'm going to calendar 
time to implement those strategies. And then I'm going to pick a date, put it on my calendar. This is when I'm going to evaluate my progress. And at that time, I'm either going to implement some more strategies so I can continue to move the needle or go back and pick a different area of weakness and start the process over again with that one. Hope this helps. Hope it's given you some food for thought on your persistence. As always, I want to be your career coach. So use the link in the show notes to schedule a call with me. That's a 45-minute complimentary call, and I'm going to ask you questions about where you are now in your career, where you want to be, what's standing in the way, and I'm going to prescribe for you and let you know what that would look like if it entails working with me. If I think I can help you, I'm going to let you know what that were, what that looks like. But there's no charge for the call, and you get 45 minutes of, couch, of coaching with me. Pretty cool. All right, find me on the socials, and I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.